So uh, I almost quit the other day. Um, it was it was a pretty uh, normal day, but I almost quit. Um, not this job, and it was it was um, it was a different job. It was the other day, but it was many many years ago. You see, that's how passage of time works. It was another day, but it wasn't this job, and it wasn't like really recent at all. Um, it was about 16 years ago, I would say. Uh, but it was still the other day. I wanted to freak you out a little bit. I didn't even tell the elders I'm going to quit today. No. Um, but yeah, so anyway, um, I, I almost quit uh, my job. As you guys know, I was, I, and always will be, a great sandwich artist. But my career began at Quiznos, and uh, I, I loved my job at Quiznos. I, I made minimum wage making sandwiches, and had a really great time doing it right there on the beach. Um, my Quiznos no longer exists anymore, nor does pretty much anything in that plaza I used to work in. Uh, but there was one day I was working at Quiznos and things got a little dicey for me. See, at our Quiznos, we were in this plaza right on the beach in Daytona Beach and there were a lot of other restaurants and stores and stuff and my manager or my owner was really um, generous to the people in the, in the plaza and they said, you know what? If you come to our sandwich place, we'll give you a 25% discount. And so we saw a lot of business from people in the plaza. You know, the people from the hotel would come over and get their 25% discount. People from the movie theater would come down and get their 25% discount. But there was one movie theater employee that I hated to see every single time I worked. Now, sorry about movie theater employees, Andrew. I know that you were a very good movie theater employee for a long time. But this guy uh, had some creepy vibes to him, okay? Uh, he had a weird gait when he walked in, and I just didn't really like when he came in. Um, but what he would always do, he had this scheme where he would come in, and he would order his sandwich. He would tell you what he wanted on his sandwich, and then he'd get down to the register and say, hey, you made my sandwich wrong. I want a free sandwich. That was not great. Um, so that happened a couple of times. And my manager was like, okay, this guy is being ridiculous. So he came in. This is the night I almost quit. He came in. I know who he is. He probably knows who I am. We're making eye contact here. It's, it's, I know what you're going to try to do. And so he looks at me and he orders his, his sandwich and gets his turkey. I said, you want turkey? You want this turkey? Yes. This turkey? Yes. You want cheese? You want this cheese right here? Yes, that cheese. This cheese right here, right? Yes. Put it through the toaster as we do at Quiznos. Bring it over to the station with all of the vegetables. I want onions. You want these onions. And you see what I'm saying. I was being as diligent as humanly possible because I didn't want this guy to scam us again. Because we all know Quiznos is not in a great place anymore. And it's because of him. Um, uh, no, it's... Anyway. Um, but we did the whole process. I, I am telling you, I was being as petty as humanly possible because I wanted to make sure this guy got justice served. And so he gets up to the register, and can you believe it? He tries to do it again. He says, that kid made my sandwich wrong. He does it wrong all the time. I said, there's no way I made your sandwich wrong. There's not a possible way. And my manager's like, Jimmy, go cool off. <laughs> so I, I literally went into the walk-in freezer, and I literally, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. And I was, it was the point of the rage. I don't know if you've ever cried because of you were so angry, but I hated that guy. And I was like, he tried to dupe us again, and I'm so mad. I have this righteous indignation that he's trying to just scam us and make me look like a bad sandwich artist. 
And I was so frustrated. But I didn't quit. Right? I went out of the walk-in freezer, back to the line. My manager's like, he's not allowed to come back in here. I told him he can't come back in here. I was like, finally, thank you for taking care of that nemesis of mine. Um, but I'll never forget him. But I almost quit, right? And I'm sure you've probably had similar situations in your line of work, whether it be when you were in high school or probably day-to-day. You probably, maybe not everybody in here loves your job. I get it. Some days you want to quit the thing that you're doing, um, But for some reason, I didn't quit that job. I had to save up enough money to go back to school because that was pretty much my living, you know, wages for the entire school year. And I had to keep that job, and I just didn't want to quit. But the idea of quitting kind of gets a bad rap. I'm sure as you're you're listening to me, like, oh, good thing. You you showed resilience, and you didn't quit in that trying moment. Uh, But quitting has a certain thing in our minds. It kind of exists in this place where we don't want to be labeled as quitters, right? Right, if I were to say, hey, who in here likes to think of themselves as a quitter? I'm sure nobody would raise their hand, right? But I think quitting gets a bad rap because believe it or not, you have definitely quit something in your life. I quit playing t-ball a long time ago, right? I don't play t-ball anymore. I don't play organized games of, you know, uh, of baseball anymore. I don't do uh, high school sports anymore. Uh, in that, in that I, I am a coach, actually, so I guess I kind of do f- function in that place now. But you see what I'm saying. At some point in your life, you have quit something. But we don't want to see ourselves as quitters. Because in our minds, I think, quitting has a different I don't know, vibe to it. We don't want to be seen as quitters. We see quitting as an excuse to discipline, right? You are undisciplined if you are a quitter. You're not going through the stages of hardship and labor because you just want to quit and give up. My kids right now don't love that I make them do certain things in their lives. Why do we have to do music? Why do we have to clean our rooms? I just want to quit these things. And I tell them it's not good to to quit these things because they're difficult. They say, why not? I say, I don't know. <laughs> right? It, it's tough, right? Um, but I want you to think about this. I want you to think about something that you have quit in your life. And think of this. What would be your reaction if I asked you about the thing that you quit? Right? What would be your reaction to the thing that you quit. Let's say, for instance, you took up a hobby in sewing, and you go to the sewing class, and you have the sewing community, but every single week you're not getting any better, and all your sewing projects are getting worse and worse and worse, and you say, you know what, I've had it, I quit. And I come up to you, I say, hey, why'd you quit your sewing class? Your reaction is going to be, well, I, I wasn't getting any better. Well, I didn't like the teacher. You know what, the teacher actually had it out for me in that class. You know what, the people in that class, they were rude to me. And, and that's the reason why I quit. And, and I, I talk to people about uh, jobs sometimes. Why'd you quit that job? Why'd you quit that sports team? Oh, the, my teammates were rude to me. My boss was a jerk. I just had to get out of that environment. I just had to quit. What I'm getting at is that there's the things that we quit in our lives, we often have really rational uh, answers to the reasons why we quit. 
a lot of time they're really irrational because we've made them to be rational, right? Sometimes your teammates aren't jerks. Sometimes your, 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 your boss isn't a jerk. Sometimes they can be. I'm not saying that, that everybody's just lying, but I think that when we quit something, quitting in our minds is a bad thing. We have to make reasons valid enough to actually quit the thing that we want to quit. And again, I'm not trying to say everybody's a liar. I'm not trying to say everybody is lying to themselves. But I think that we are really good at rationalizing the things that we want to quit and actually quitting them. You see what I'm saying? We can come up with all these different reasons. And sometimes they're absolutely valid reasons. Sometimes you do need to get out of that environment. Sometimes you do need to get out of that relationship, whatever it is. I'm not saying all things are like this. But oftentimes when we quit, we have these valid reasons in the back of our minds for why we quit. And I want to take a step further. And it's not just the, the school projects or the, um, the jobs or whatever it might be. We often find ourselves quitting on our faith. We often find ourselves quitting on discipleship in general. And the problem is we sometimes even use the Bible to rationalize why we quit doing that aspect of our faith in our lives. You've probably read this before. This is in the context of Jesus sending out the 12. Right? They're about to go out in pairs and do some real discipleship work. Here in Matthew chapter 10, we read this. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Okay, we lose a little bit of the context, right? We're not necessarily shaking the dust off our feet where we go about as a kind of not like an insult, but as a rejection of whatever took place. But you read these words and Jesus is basically telling the disciples, hey, you're going to go into places and people are going to reject you. When they reject you, you need to go on your way and just keep on going because it's not just about this one person. It's about going and going and going. Discipleship does not stop when people are not receptive. This will happen, Jesus says. But have you ever heard someone use this phrase? And the phrase that I'm talking about is, well, I, I had to shake the dust off my feet and continue going. Have you ever heard someone say that? You don't have to raise your hand. But I'm sure we've heard people say this before in our lives. Right? They've been having a conversation with someone and they're not making any headway. So they say, you know what? I just had to shake the dust off my feet and move on because they were not receptive to the gospel. And I really believe that is true. But I also think that we can sometimes be quitters when it comes to discipleship. I think sometimes we want to use, because it's so twisted, because we can use a verse from the Bible to rationalize the thing that we don't want to continue doing with that person. Right, Because the conversation got uncomfortable or it got awkward or you just don't like that person anymore or whatever list of reasons that you can come up with for why you don't want to be in a discipleship relationship with that person, we can use the Bible to stop discipling people. That's crazy. I've heard people do that. I had a, a professor at Harding who is a missionary uh, for a very long time in Eastern Europe. And he talked about this very thing and people would use this as a reason not to do mission work. And he's like, have you seen what the apostles had to go through? Have you seen what Jesus had to go through? It's not about just shaking the dust off your sandals or shaking the dust off your shoes when things get difficult. It's about, hey, there's something much, much more devious kind of happening when they do that. And guess what? 
it really only happens one time in the New Testament where they actually do this. It's, it's what was read this morning. It's what Doug read for us in, in Acts 13. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. Now I want to be very specific as to why they're shaking the dust off their feet. Is it because they encountered a difficult situation with a difficult person who had difficult questions for them? No. Verse 50 says, But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. Do you see what the Jewish leaders are doing? They're getting the people who are kind of not Jewish and kind of people who are out there with a lot of power and saying, Hey, Something bad is happening. You want to you incite a riot against these people and make them leave our city? That's what's taking place, right? It's not uncomfortable conversations that's making them stop doing what they're doing. It's an actual riot is incited because of them. And if you read throughout the book of Acts, the, the phrase, they shook the dust off their feet, is not really used again. But the apostles are being chased from town to town. If you look at what, what happened in Thessalonica, a few chapters before that, Or it might have been after, excuse me. I didn't prepare this, sorry. This is just coming to me right now. All right. If you look in Thessalonica, yeah, in Acts chapter 17, things are getting really heated in Thessalonica to where the same thing is happening. They're inciting riots against Paul. And so he's chased to another town, to Berea. And the people from Thessalonica, they go to Berea to chase them away from there too. That sounds intense, does it not? It sounds a whole lot more intense than the friend that says, you know what, I just couldn't have those spiritual conversations with that person anymore because they just weren't being receptive to me. It puts things in perspective, does it not? The shaking the dust off your sandals is not because you don't want to be there in that moment anymore. It's because whatever reason, they are actively fighting against you in the gospel that you're presenting. We have to stop quitting in our discipleship efforts. We have to stop allowing things to throw us off that shouldn't throw us off. And I want you to look at the book of Acts and, and the life of Jesus and see where they actually did this very, very few times. Because they were pursuing and going, and it's in the going that God is with them, that Jesus was with them. And I want to be careful because I, there's this tension that I'm kind of seeing here is that I don't want this to be the try harder gospel. I'm not saying don't quit, just try harder for the sake of trying hard. What I want to say is I want to reframe how we see active discipleship in our lives. Right? Discipleship isn't just about getting together with someone and reading the Bible with them and making sure they understand the words that are in, in this book. Active discipleship takes many different forms throughout the life cycle of a friendship, of a discipling friendship. Quitting is when you say, I'm no longer interacting with that person Continuing to go looks really different. I had an example of this when I was first in youth ministry. I thought that I was supposed to be everybody's savior. Um, that's not a really good way to do ministry. Uh, but there was just one kid, his name, I'm not going to say his name. Um, but I, uh, I met him, there was this kind of secondary school for you know, troubled kids. And I met him actually at that school. I was working with the kids there. And he had a great heart. 
uh, but a lot going on in his life. And so I took it upon myself, I'm going to disciple this kid. I'm going to show up for this kid. So I did. And so we would get food and we would go do certain things. But very quickly, the relationship became very paternalistic to where he would call me only when he needed something. And it got very, very um, dependent. And it got very, very less, less about this scripture and more about me. It wasn't healthy. And I lost contact with him. And I, and I wonder, I still think about him, obviously, and I wonder, was I wrong to step away? Was I wrong for the, doing the things that I did? And I think I probably, if I had a little more maturity, could have handled that situation a lot better now. But I want to kind of show this as an example of, a, of an example where I might have fallen short to say, where could I have done better? Where could I have continued that relationship instead of kind of severing it and saying, hey, we're done here? And the way that I look at the example of the apostles, the way I look at the example of Jesus, is I think that we need to reframe it, and I want to see this as relentless disciples rather than necessarily effective disciples, if that makes any sense. It's not about our baptisms per hour so much as it is about our relentlessness in being disciple makers. Does that make sense? It's this relentlessness that I think that we are called to strive towards that changes the equation completely. Because like I said before, I was caught up in the gospel of Jimmy. How can Jimmy be the savior of this poor, destitute child, right? That's such a bad way of looking at discipleship. But when we look at ourselves as being about the gospel of Jesus and emulating Jesus, this relentlessness takes on a whole different function in our lives. If it's not about just baptizing, if it's about the relationship, it's about the journey, it's about continuing to go, 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 it changes everything. So the question I kind of want to sit with this morning is, what is a relentless disciple? What does it look like? How can we reframe our minds to be less about our baptisms per hour and more about going? The first thing that, I'm kinda, that I kind of sat with was that relentless disciples believe their calling is worth it. Relentless disciples believe their calling is worth it. The more and more I, I sit with Scripture and the more and more I sit with the apostles especially is I get so connected to their humanness, right? That Jesus called really, really flawed people like we talked about last week to continue his message. It's not really a, an efficient way to tell people about you, right? We could be much more efficient now. Why don't you just text everybody, God? Why don't you just email everybody, God? But yet he calls people who are flawed to believe this calling is worth it, right? If we look at the lives of the apostles, they don't end up being very good, right? All of them are killed, right? And you're like, what about John? He was exiled. That's not good, okay? It's not good. Their lives changed because of their message drastically. Could you imagine just... I, 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 I don't want to over understate this, is that they were once living pretty normal lives and then they were living a completely different life, right? Being a fisherman, being a tax collector, being a zealot, all these different things, they interact with Jesus and now that calling is worth changing everything. That is tough. Could you imagine being called out of the situation that you are in life right now and saying, hey, follow this completely different way. And you're saying, well, what about my, my 401k? What about you know, time off from work? What about all these different things? These people are saying, this is worth it. And so my question is, is it worth it to you? If you're going to want to be a relentless disciple, this has to be an all-in type of thing, Right? 
Because if you're just half doing it, I think you're selling the gospel short. And I'm not saying that you have to like quit your job today. If, you're, if, you're, if the Spirit's calling you to do that, then do it. I'm not telling you not to not do that, right? Not to not do that. Okay, we'll move, move beyond that. But what I'm, thank you. But what I'm saying is this calling has to be worth changing your life drastically. It has to be worth you giving up the things that you kind of hold to be important in your life. The way that Paul frames it is beautiful. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Every aspect of Paul's life revolves around Christ. And he's a great example for us, right? A vocational minister, a a tent-making ministry where he is still actively doing his own professional thing, but along the way, he is living for Christ every step of the way. His calling was worth it. His calling was worth it from being a prominent Pharisee to changing everything. The calling was worth it to live for Christ in this radically different way. The second thing is this. Relentless disciples go and don't quit. And this is where we have to hold this tension. This is not the try harder gospel. This is not the gospel of Jimmy. This is not the gospel of you. But it's about going and going and going for the sake of Christ going. It's about persistence and not perfection. Persistence and not perfections. We are not quitters. Even when you aren't able to go, you are still going. And I think about this guy that I told you, this student that I worked with for a long time. What I wish I would have done is just simply keep in contact. Just simply let him know that I'm a person that cares for him and who knows what's going to happen next. You guys are all aware of this, this idea where, you know, Paul talks about Apollos and like how they're all key component, components of the discipleship and the lives of these people, but it's only the God that makes them grow, right? It's only God that makes their spiritual lives grow, but along the way you impact different people in different ways, right? So I wish if I could go back in time, I could say, you know what, I'm not going to give you money anymore. I'm not do these certain things that might have gotten us into a weird relationship situation, but I'm still going to be an active person in your life. I am going to be Jesus for you in this way, and I'm not sure how it's going to look tomorrow, but right now I'm going to be here today. Because I think that's the big issue. When people look at discipleship, they get really scared by it. It's intimidating. Oh, I got to learn. I got to get a Bible study material. I have to study with them for this many weeks. Don't worry about that part just yet. Just in this moment say, yes, I am going to be in your life. I am going to teach you about Jesus. But most importantly, I'm going to be Jesus in your life forever. Go and don't quit that. I don't want discipleship to be intimidating because like I said, it's not just me or the elders who are called to discipleship. If you are a Christian, you've already said yes to discipleship. Do you know that? You've already said yes to it. You have to go. Jesus didn't just make the great commissions to the apostle and say, everybody else after that, you're fine. The fact that we are sitting here is because people kept going and they didn't quit. Relentless disciples, they go and they don't quit. They go and, of course, you want to have a plan. Of course, you want to think through. I'm not saying just be random and weird about it, right? But what I am saying is the going is the most important part. And the third thing is this, relentless, relentless disciples Extend grace to themselves and others. Grace is the only thing that makes all this work. 
I, like I said last week, I'm flawed, you're flawed. We are not unique in our flawedness, right? But when we extend grace to ourselves, discipleship becomes a lot more about Jesus and a lot less about our own shortcomings. Because I know that I'm not going to have all the answers. I went to school to learn the Bible, and I'm still just like, do I know anything at all? Right? But when you get into this place, like we talked last week about Peter, Peter was able to call out Simon the sorcerer because he understood grace and he understood the fact that grace was the only reason that he was still walking around and able to do what he was doing. That's the kind of energy that relentless disciples have is that I have grace and I want to tell you about it too. I have grace and even when I fall short, in those moments, that's the fact when Jesus is most vibrant in your life is when you're flat on your face. But relentless disciples have to continually extend grace to themselves so that they can extend grace to others. It's not about the gospel of trying hard and getting all the answers right. It's not the gospel about you and me. It's the gospel about a grace-filled Savior who says grace is limitless. Please receive that grace. Please allow that grace to be what drives you to do what what I'm calling you to do. Right, because, I mean, talking about Peter again, like, he's not able to go and do what he does unless he has that breakfast on the beach with Jesus. When he's fully reconciled with Jesus, when he fully understands and internalizes that grace, then he's able to go to Pentecost. Then he's able to baptize thousands, and those thousands continue to go because their calling is worth it, because they go and don't quit, and because they understand grace. So from this series that I'm giving you, we're going we're gonna to talk about it next week too. It's not going to be me. It's going to be somebody else. But I don't want you to be intimidated by discipleship. I don't want you to be thinking that you have to have it all figured out. You will never have it all figured out. All you have to do is go. All you have to do is be willing to submit and go and extend that grace to yourself and show it to other people. That sounds a whole lot more attainable than having all the right answers than having the perfect life. Grace drives the whole thing. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. And I I just um, want to pray that we continue to go and we don't quit. And I don't want to call anybody a quitter. I don't want to have that mindset because I think what you're calling to us to is this relentless discipleship where we just continue to go even when we're flawed. We continue to go even when we might not have all the answers because, God, we know that you will lift us up and that you will give us the things that we need to do. God, help us to have the grace that we need to continue to go. Help us to have the grace to overlook, not not overlook in the sense that they aren't there, but to see our flaws and say, you know what, Jesus, you can do something great in me that I cannot do myself, and thank you for that. God, please help us as we actively disciple those in our lives and those people we don't even know yet. God, I pray a prayer that everybody in this room gets ambushed this week by somebody who's looking to know you better. And I pray that they have the spirit and the words to say that you will give them that doesn't come from themselves or their selfishness or their arrogance, but I pray that they are encountered by somebody in a very real way that they have to share Jesus with. God, please help us to be aware of those situations. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I hope that was a blessing and not a curse, right? Because I think when we pray those things, those people show up. I actively pray 
for that person to show up in your life this week. I hope that you're caught off guard by it too. I hope that those things, because it's, when we go through the motions, when we go through all these things and we understand that it's not that scary, it's just a conversation. When we go through these, uh, these opportunities, that's what they are, is opportunities to share Jesus. Not you, but share Jesus. We offer this time as an opportunity for invitation. If you are struggling with this idea of discipleship, if you need help, if you're saying, I don't even know where to start, we have resources to give you, and they're so easy. I promise you they're easy. But if you have questions about that, if you have questions about whatever, if you just need prayers or whatever it might be, we want to invite you while we stand and we sing.